0: Good morning. How are we? Seven people are good. Awesome. How are we? Good. So I've been uh, listening to an uh, African-American uh, preacher in church lately, and I love their preaching. There's a lot. It's a lot more engaging and interactive. So if, if I kind of take on some of that, just, just roll with it. It's good. So uh, how are we this morning? We're well. Happy Thanksgiving. We have, we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, this morning, what my, my favorite way to be woken up is, is my wife comes in. Uh, she wakes up earlier because our baby wakes up real early and she's got to feed her. And then she'll, she'll bring her to me and she'll say, D-d-d-d-d. my daughter comes in. And this morning, uh, we're out in the living room because my parents are here and we gave them our bed. Uh, I know. So uh, we're in the living room. We're in the air mattress. We, we don't have our normal sheets and stuff. We've got these really nice quilts that my wife made over us. And so she hands me my daughter. And uh, she says, "Careful, she's pretty full." I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay, full. So, so here we are. Um, Love you, Charlotte, and just pukes all over the place. And you know what? On, that is awesome. On on my way here, I'm I'm honest. I'm thinking through just you know what I'm gonna say in this morning, and um, just thanking God for my daughter, um, thanking God that He treats us the way that my wife. Treated Charlotte in that moment, because what did I not do? I didn't I didn't turn her over and spank her, I didn't scold her. I said, "It's okay, baby girl. We're going to clean that up. Let's let's get you going." And God does that to us, Amen. Like God cleans up our mess. God encourages us. He He doesn't get angry. It's like okay, here, let's let's keep going. Let's keep let's let's do this. Love that about God. We have a lot to be thankful for. So uh, it's a good morning. If you have. If you have one of these, it's called a a Bible. When I was little, I was told it was an acronym for basic information before leaving earth. I don't think that's in here, but they teach you that in Sunday school. So if you have one of these, grab it. If you don't, get cozy with the neighbor who has one. And next week, when you walk in at that table, there's a huge stack of them. Just grab one next week when you come in. All right. And if you don't own one, take it. It's our gift to you we want you to read it. There's some good stuff in here. There, there really is. So uh, that's good. My name's Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. A few things up front that we want to uh, kind of give attention to. Out in the front, you'll notice a couple Christmas trees. There's a big one, and then there's a small one. At that small one, there's an opportunity to um, basically pick up some cards that uh, have a, a present to give someone. It's the giving tree. So hop in on that. Um, we have our Brazil missions team who's leaving in a couple weeks. We still need to raise a little bit more money. So could we could we just do it this week? Could we just, let's just knock that out. Let's just get that over with. We don't have to worry about it. There's just a little bit left. So would you just mark on your offering Brazil and let's just applaud that and get that out of the way. Um, we got a great team. They do amazing stuff. Um, I'm really encouraged to see what they're doing down there. So way to go, college kids and Pastor Tom. Um, Also, we have men's and women's 127 next week, next Saturday. We need a few more guys this week. Um, if you have some time, would you just make it on down? There's a few extra jobs. What we do is we serve uh, in the local community. We serve uh, orphans and orphans. We serve widows and single moms and people who just can't do the work on them uh, by themselves. So we help them out. So would you do that next week? Um, also, we have the e-newsletter. You can sign up for that. Um, a lot going on. Check out your program and the website. So today we're in Acts chapter four um, we're going to get through it. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to read the whole passage today, which I usually always read, but it's a long one today. So we're going to kind of just, um, I'm going to summarize it as we go through, but on your own, would you, would you do that? Would you go home and read, uh, one through 22, but let's pray and let's just get after it. Cause we got, we got a good word from the Lord this morning. So let's, uh, let's come to him. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity, um, to share your word. Uh, Lord, it's a humbling opportunity um, because your word uh, breathes life into us. But it, it's also um, a hard word this morning. Uh, it's hard because of the implications of what you're teaching to us. Um, Lord, we know that there is only one way to salvation, and that is through the name of Jesus Christ. And outside of that, um, there are people who are not going to be saved. And that's hard. Um, that's hard for us to understand. Um, we can't fully understand that. So, Lord, I ask this morning that we would respond well to your word, um, that we would be a people of compassion, um, that we would be a people who show that we love those around us, uh, particularly those of the family and those who don't know you, um, because we want your name to be known. Uh, we love you, and we praise you, and we worship you. In your name, amen. So our vision here, um, we, we, we want to say this as often as possible. Um, here, here's where we get to participate together. So we are one that was so lame. Uh, one family, right? We're one family with one passion. That's a, one passion, right? We have a passion reaching all people. Uh, one family. So so we've said it a million times. It's foolish to come here and just attend. We want you to belong. We want you to be known. We want you to join. Right? And and it doesn't mean just this. There's a lot that happens. There's a, a hundred ways to get involved here. There are almost every night of the week, there's a community group. There are interaction groups Sunday morning. You can serve in a million different ways. We always need more people to serve. So don't ever think, oh, they have it covered. We never have it covered. We always need more. And if we have things covered, I will create new things. Right? So, so here we are one family. We have a passion. And what is our passion? It's two things to love God, and to love people, right? We love God, and we love people. And our vision is not only to love God, not only love people, not only to be one family, but we want to share that. So we want to take what we know to be true about Jesus, and we want to share that with other people. Right, that's why we are a church that is highly involved in missions. That's why we just had two Go Focus Sundays, global outreach. We we believe in mission because we have a God who was on mission and who is still on mission. You and I are here today because someone was on mission, right? And that was a person. That was God, but that was also people. You are here because someone somewhere told you about this Jesus guy. Unless you had some miraculous writing on the wall, which if you had, come up here and tell us. I'd be thrilled to hear the story. But we are here because of people. So that's what we're about. One family with one passion. We love God, we love people, and we want to share that love with other people. right? And, and it's my honor, it's my pleasure to get to do this today. We get to open this. It's an amazing book. There's a lot of good things in here. It's it's amazing when we when we read this book and things pop to us and we say, wow, that makes sense. It's almost like I was designed and this book tell, told me how I was designed. It's incredible. All right, but today we're going to wrestle with some hard questions. Today we're going to start with um, the idea of how do I know, how do I know what I read in here is true? Why Why? should I believe what this says? And even more so, and the bigger question for today is, how do I know what I believe is true? Because a lot of people believe a lot of different things. How do I know what I believe is true versus what someone else believes? Right. So my neighbor might be um, a believer in something else. He might believe with just as much passion, just as much enthusiasm, just as deeply as I do, but he believes something very differently. Why should I believe that he needs to believe what I believe? You ever thought that before? Why, why, do I, why do I believe what I believe? Is it true? How do I know that it's true? It's a big question. It's, it's a really big question. It's a question that we should ask ourselves often. Why, why am I here? What do, how, how do I know what I believe is true versus what other people believe? Because a lot of people are making claims on truth. Why is mine any different than anyone else? Today, Peter is faced with two big questions, namely the question of, Peter, what do you believe? And not only that, but what are you willing to give up for what you believe? Right? So it's one thing to say, I believe in something. It's another thing to say, this is what I'm willing to give up for what I believe. Peter's faced with some hard questions. He, he, he's, he's found himself in a very interesting situation, a situation that, that maybe occasionally you and I might have a, a small, small bit similar experience to how Peter finds himself today. Um, if we're to be honest with ourselves, the text for some of us is going to be a bit uncomfortable. Are there, we're going to read some things today that, that don't resonate well with us. We're, we're going to read some things that have implication because we know people. And we have friends and we have neighbors and we have coworkers, and we have family members who don't agree with us on these issues. So it's very important today that we, that we listen to the totality of what's being said. So I, I would urge you, if you read something, don't, don't just brush it off as if, well, maybe the original author meant something different, right? Maybe it was transmitted uh, incorrectly, or maybe I just don't like it, so I'm just going to skip that. I, and when you come across a text that, that really does not resonate with you, I would, I would beg the question, why? Right? Why doesn't that resonate with you? Why, why, why is there something that, that is at odds with what I'm reading right now? Right? What's vested in me that's making me not, not okay with this passage? There's a couple huge key terms that we're going to get after today that some of us are not going to be comfortable with. But that's good. I want us to wrestle today. With that said, also this, this, this message really should tug on our hearts. If you have a heartbeat in here, you, you should leave here really with, with a, a compassion for those who do not know Christ. And not only a compassion, but a compelling vision and a compelling mission that says, we gotta get this word out. Because if what we believe is true, if what I'm saying is true, there are implications that go far beyond just our experience here. That go far beyond into eternity. So we gotta get after what we're talking about today. Some of you are already looking ahead, you type Ayers. What's he gonna say? Reading Acts 4. Well, hold on, we'll get there. So uh Acts 4. Like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Do that at home this week. You're going to study it in your community groups. You're going to talk about this, but right now we're going to start in the beginning. So, so in the beginning, it starts out and it says, as they were speaking. So Peter and John are in stride here. They're in action. Peter's preaching the gospel to people because something miraculously just happened. Well, 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 what is it? What, what's happening? So Peter Peter and John are on their way into the temple and they come across a crippled man. This crippled man gets healed and everyone rushes and wants to know what in the world just happened. How is this possible? Right? So here Peter and John are, they're on their way into the temple and there's a man, 40 years has been carried to one spot in front of the temple. Can't walk for 40 years. He he physically has to be carried. For 40 years. And for 40 years, he's sitting out in front, his head down, his arm out, saying, you got a nickel? You got a dime? You got a quarter? I mean, this man knows extreme humiliation. He knows what it's like to to feel dehumanized. For 40 years, he's just hoping, I hope I can get enough money to put food in my mouth today. 40 years. You, you You ever been embarrassed before? You ever felt dehumanized? 40 years, this man's in front of the temple. This day is a little different. Someone looks at his eyes. Peter looks at him and he says, I have no food. I have no money, but what I have, I give you, I give you the name of Jesus Christ and that name, get up and walk. And he gets up and he walks. It's incredible. It's amazing. Gets up and he walks. Verse uh, 11 of chapter three says, while he clung to Peter and John, so he gets up and he's just grabbing their feet. I'm sure just weeping with joy. He grabs their feet. It says, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them to see what was happening. And verse 12 says, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. See, this is a big deal. You ever see a fight break out at school and like everyone comes? This is kind of like that. Someone gets healed and everyone just, whoom. And now Peter and John are sitting there with this man at their feet, weeping for joy. And they want to know what in the world just happened? How, we all know this man. We, we've seen him here every single day for 40 years. How did you just heal him? So Peter starts preaching the gospel. He starts preaching Jesus. And in the middle of this, here come the religious authorities, and they do not like what he has to say. So here they come. they got their high hats on. they got their robes, whatever you can imagine, the, the high chief priests, the people coming in, and they want to shut him up. They don't like what they're preaching, namely the resurrection of the dead, because it doesn't agree with their theology. How could you preach that? How could someone be healed? That's not what we preach. So they shut them up. So, so our first question for us is, in, in a position of authority, what do you do when you disagree with someone? Right? So husbands, when you disagree with your wife, how do you treat her? Do you listen to her? Or do you use your, your kind of bravado or maybe your passivity and kind of just shut her out? Right here, the religious authorities, they used their authority and they arrested and shut up Peter and John. It's night, so they throw them in jail. You ever been arrested? You're not going to raise your hand. They're in jail. First time for both of them. And don't, don't read this too quickly. You've got to imagine they're thrown into jail. The first time here. First time they've ever been there. I mean, you've got to imagine they're... Oh, man. I don't I don't know if Jesus was this serious. I don't I don't know if he really wanted us to be put in jail. And and I don't know about you, but but my cellmate over here, Bubba, Mr. I bench pressed seven hundred pounds, no neck. I don't want him adding another teardrop with my name on his face. I don't I don't like this. I don't like this jail business. You gotta imagine what the first night would have been like. I mean, he had to have been wrestling with God here. Oh, yeah, and not to mention tomorrow, um, I have a little brunch appointment with that one guy and his friend, um, Ananias, that's right, and his brother-in-law, Caiaphas. I swear I know those names from somewhere. Oh, that's right, those are the two who falsely imprisoned and falsely had my best friend killed. Glad I'm meeting them tomorrow. I hope we have a great old time. You got you to gotta just feel this. They're waiting to meet these people. That's pretty wild. I doubt they slept very well that night. I'm just speculating here. I'm going to have a hard time sharing Jesus if I'm dead. I'm going to have a hard time being the rock here, starting the church, if I don't make it out of this meeting tomorrow. Maybe I should just kind of, kind of brush it off as, as not a big deal. Maybe I should just, you know, it was a fluke, one-time thing. Maybe I should just shut my mouth so I stay alive here. Finally, morning comes. The high chief priest and his family gather together, everyone who's anyone. They bring in Peter and John. Um, The cripple man who's walking actually comes in with them. And they ask him in verse 7, they say, by what power or by what name did you do this? How'd you do this? I mean, it's obvious what has happened. How in the world did this happen? They want to know. And verse 8 says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, now now don't read that too quick. He's filled with the Holy Spirit here. I like this because on his own, what do you think he would have said? He probably would have tried to get out of it. And if you think I'm projecting wrongly, how did Peter respond when a 12-year-old girl by themselves asked Peter, hey, do you know Jesus? What did he say? uh No. And now here he is in front of people who can have him executed like that. And they ask him, and it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. So take that, would you? Sometimes I know it's hard to share our faith. It's hard. Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we don't know what to say. Maybe we don't know the answers of the possible questions. So I would encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit. Spirit, would you give me words here? Because Peter had nothing to gain by telling the truth here. He didn't have much going on on his own. I love verse 8. It says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He responds and he says in verses 8, he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, They hear the response of Peter and John, and the text says that they were astonished. Why why, why the amazement? The text says that they perceived that they were common men. You want to know the Greek word for common men here? I love it. Idiotai. Here's a bunch of idiotais teaching us, the scholars of the law, how are they trying to teach me that there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved? Do they not know that I'm a scholar? That I've been schooled in the rabbinic schools? These guys haven't been to Bible college. They don't have seminary degrees. How in the world and and by what authority do they have to tell me that there is only one name by which we must be saved? Clearly, our worldviews are not connecting here. And clearly, these idiotites don't understand what we understand. This is why the council is so upset. They ask, how was this man healed? Peter says, by the name of Jesus Christ whom, he says this for the third time, you killed, you killed, you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. That's how Jesus, that's how this man was healed. Now, now that seems a bit aggressive here. Does, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem a bit aggressive? Um, but what, but think, about, think about what Peter's saying. Think about who he's saying it to. I mean, he's making a pretty bold claim here to people who know the text very, very well. How could these common men make such a claim? How could they just brush off all the brilliant thinkers, the philosophers, the theologians, past, present, and future? How can they make such a blank statement saying, there is salvation only in one name? Let me ask you, how do you respond to the statement, there is only one name by which one can be saved? How do you respond? There's only one way, one name. It's not an easy thing to swallow because there are implications to that statement that say, if you don't know that name, you won't be saved. Well, well, what about the people Ken was talking about last week in northern Mongolia who've never heard of the name? What about the thousands, millions of people outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, who lived other places, who didn't know the name of Jesus? Clearly, there were people living in Asia, in Africa, in northern Europe. Clearly in the Americas. What about them? How are we supposed to say that unless you believe in one name, you will not be saved? It seems a bit bold. It seems like a strong thing to say here. What about us? What about our friends? What about our coworkers? Right? We've got nice coworkers. We've got nice neighbors. Anyone here have nice neighbors? No one. Two. Where do you live? We're moving next door. Right? We know nice people. But what we've just heard says if we know these nice people and they don't know that name, salvation is not in that house. How does that sit? Tell you with me, it doesn't sit that well. I'm going to keep explaining why see whether or not you and i want to acknowledge this we we breathe i mean we're our air is saturated with pluralism we are inundated in a culture that says if it's okay for you you do what you want to do you believe what you want to believe i'll believe what i want to believe and we're okay yeah haven't we heard that haven't we heard well you can have your beliefs i'll have mine and everything's gravy Right, but what's the problem with that? What's the underlying current behind that belief? Is it not a scathing skepticism that says none of it's true anyways and it doesn't matter? Is that not the real undercurrent? Because the only way that you can say that both people are right is to really say, you know what, none of it matters anyways. It doesn't, it's not really true. That's the truth here. Don't be so naive to think that we are the first generation to be seeped in such a pluralistic culture. We are not by any means. That's exactly what Peter and John were up against in the first century. In the book of John, I want you to turn there. So go to John 18. We have a fascinating conversation between Jesus and Pilate in John 18. So go to John 18, verse 33 here. If you don't have a Bible, snuggle up next to someone. Remember, we're a family. (laughs) This is verse 33. This is Jesus. This is after he gets arrested. This is before he is crucified. He's having a conversation with Pilate. Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? So he asked him the question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and he says, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Jesus answered, am I a Jew? Or Pilate answered, am I a Jew? So Pilate's not a Jew, but he wants, he's asking Jesus, who are you? And he says, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. And then he asks the question, what have you done? Why are they here? Why do they want to, to crucify you? Jesus answers in verse 36, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. At this point, you've got to imagine Pilate's a little bit confused. He's like, okay, you're a king, uh, and you're not of this world uh, Okay, verse 37, he says, So you're a king? Huh, interesting. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate has a fascinating response. He says to him in verse 38, What is truth? He's saying to a man in front of him who says, I am a king. If I wanted, my kingdom would come down and my people would fight for me. And Pilate's thinking, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you're a king, whatever. What is truth anyways? It's a bold statement. What is truth? It's a big question. And the implied answer from Pilate is there is no truth. It is relative here. Sure, you can have your deal. I'll have mine. Let's go our happy way. Now, where, did the, where does this come from, though? Most theologians, most historians will point to one moment in history that really whacked open the piñata on truth. And that comes from, you might remember in world history as a 7th or 8th grader, Roman peace, Pax Romana. Right. What happened? For the first time, we have um, really the melting pot of all cultures and all people, where the Romans, where they brought peace um, really from, from southern Europe into some parts of northern Europe, into northern Africa, into Arabia, into Mesopotamia. And for the first time, they brought um, transportation to people. So we have a booming economy. We have people who could now um, go from, from Africa to Europe to um, Arabia all over. And, and they brought their goods. They, bought, they brought their trades. A great economy. And what did they bring with them? They brought their religions. They brought their faiths. And they were all very different. So what happens is you have a mixing of people in business. But, but you're a good person. I like you. We just don't see eye to eye on faith. We believe different things here. So you know what? Let's just, let's just let it go. It doesn't really matter Anyways. There's a famous historian, Edward Gibbon, who who makes a quote about the first century uh, Roman world here. You're going to love this. He says this, he says, of the various modes of religion, um, worship, which prevailed in the Roman world, were considered by all people as equal. So to the people, all things, all religions were equal in the Roman world. Sure, you do what you do. I do what I do. And he says, by the philosophers, they were considered equally False. It doesn't matter. It's not true. And by the magistrates or by um, the politicians, all the religions were equally useful. It's amazing. Pluralism is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, church. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus is, is asked by Pilate, what is truth? He's saying, you know what? It doesn't really matter anyways when it comes to these ideas of religion. Peter, when asked the question, is faced by people who know the Old Testament well. He's faced in a culture seeped with pluralism, and he comes back with this statement salvation can be found in no one else. But, Peter, how can you say this? I mean, Peter, you're just an uneducated fisherman. How in the world are you going to make such a claim? You don't even know what epistemology is. How can you make such a claim? What's happening here, though? I mean, it, is, is Peter being arrogant here? No, he's not. He, he hasn't taken credit for anything that's taken place. Yet through his mouth, a man was healed. I mean, this is incredible, right? I mean, if you were to see this, if you were to see someone who was crippled for 40 years, who was, who was raised and could walk, you'd be pretty excited to shake this guy's hand, yeah? But Peter, what does he do? He says, I gotta, I gotta speak of what I've seen and what I've heard. It would have been extreme egotism. It would have been extremely arrogant for him to in turn say, you know what, I did that. But he turns and he says, no, Christ did that. He experienced for three years walking with Jesus, walking on water, blind receiving sight, dead men walking. He experienced Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. He was there for his glorification. And, Everything that he saw pointed to, you know what? Salvation is found in only this one man. How could he say anything else? How could he? It would have been extremely arrogant on his end to say, you know what? None of that really matters. You do what you do. I'll do what I do. But what doesn't he do? He doesn't. He doesn't say that Christians hold the corner on truth. Right? Truth can be found in all religions. Right? It is true that I should love my children, right? You don't have to be a Christian to love your children. It's true that you should treat people nicely. Many religions teach that, right? Christianity doesn't hold the market share on virtue or morality, right? In fact, there are many religions that are far more concerned with virtue and morality than Christianity. He's not saying that. He's saying one word. He's saying salvation is found in Christ alone only salvation with one person his name is jesus christ there are overlapping truths there are overlapping virtues there are overlapping morals in many many religions but do not do not drink the kool-aid and think they're all the same no adherent to any one of them would say we're the same thing it's foolish it's silly logic Contradictory statements cannot simultaneously be true. It cannot be true that I say outside it's 79 degrees Fahrenheit and you say, no, it's 42 degrees Fahrenheit. We've got three options, right? Either I'm right and you're wrong or you're wrong and I'm right. Just checking, right? Or we're we're both wrong, right? We cannot both be right. Don't think that all religions teach the same thing. They don't. They don't claim to teach the same thing. They all teach things very, very differently, particularly when it comes to the nature of who God is, who we are, who created, right? Confucianism, really kind of a a moral secularism, teaches that there is no God at all, that God doesn't exist. Well, on the other hand, Islam teaches that God is one. Hinduism teaches that God is many. And then Gandhi comes along and kind of confuses Hinduism a bit. And, and, well, yeah, kind of many, but we're all kind of one at the same time. We're all all drops of water in a big bucket here. Judaism teaches that there is a God who is personal, and he is the creator God. Buddhism comes along and says, well, we can't be sure that there is a God, and, and and if he does exist, he certainly isn't personal, and he certainly didn't create anything. Islam, in the end, says, your, um, your good and your bad will be put on a scale. And if your good outweighs your bad, then perhaps, not guaranteed, but maybe you can enter into eternity. In Hinduism, you never get out. I mean, it's just a circle again and again and again. If you like merry-go-rounds, you will love Hinduism. If you're good this life, if you're better than you were last time, maybe you'll get a, a better position next time. Maybe you'll just move up a little bit, but if you're not, you'll move back down and around and around and around we go. In Buddhism, we have this story from the Lotus Sutra. Um, It might sound familiar to some of you. We have a story of, of a man and his son. The son takes his things at a young age and he leaves the father's house. He leaves all things and he wanders for many, many, many years. For up to 30 years, it's believed that this man wandered didn't have much, went around job to job. After 30 years, he comes across this great magnificent compound and he sees this great man sitting on a huge chair with with magistrates and servants and slaves all around. And he doesn't realize it because, because he doesn't recognize him, but that's his father. 30 years had gone by and his father had acquired great, great wealth. His son at the gate sees that and he thinks, I don't... I don't want anything to do with that because I don't fit here. I don't belong. And the, the father recognizes the son. And what does the father do? He, he sends to have his son brought to him. He doesn't get up out of his seat. He, he sends his servants, go get that man at the gate. So they grab this man at the gate. And they try to bring him to the father. The son faints. He passes out. He's so scared. And the father, seeing his son passing out, says, I don't want anything to do with him. He's too weak for me. And he lets him go. And eventually he finds him, he brings him back, and he lets him serve as a servant for 20 years in his estate. 20 years. And on his dying deathbed, the father brings the son in and he says, you know what, you are my son. He said, you needed to earn off your bad years by your servitude here. In Buddhism, you save yourself. Hopefully, someday, you can make it to a son of Buddha. So how do we know? How do we know what's true? How do we know what to believe in? There's a lot of options out there. There are a lot of different people. There are a lot of different claims. There are a lot of different religions saying, this is true. Do it like this. This is true. Do it like this. Peter says this in response to the question, how is this man healed? He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. You want to know who to believe in? Believe in the one who is alive. See guys, Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Krishna is dead. Abraham is dead. Isaac, Jacob, David, they all died. Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Scientology, dead. Zoroaster, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. Mohammed, dead. Jesus Christ, not dead. So just at face value, just... Strictly speaking, face value. If you were to stand up 10 different spiritual leaders up here, and they were all to give you their story, some of which have very shady pasts, if nine of them said, I think I've found the way to God, and all of those nine have died, yet one of them has an impeccable, perfect, spotless history, claims to be God, and does not die, who would you follow? You're looking at me confused. I wonder who I'd follow. Peter says, God raised him from the dead. Perhaps you're thinking, well, this is a bit unfair, right? It it seems a bit unfair because Peter can say that because he was with him, right? But here we are thousands of years later. uh, It just, it doesn't seem fair. How could that have happened? I mean, what about all the thousands? What about the millions of people who didn't get to experience that one event? Well, this is interesting. We have an interesting reaction of these religious leaders in verse 16, we see what they say. They say this, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So the man's there. Forty years, this guy's been begging. He he couldn't walk. He's standing here. And they say, a miracle just happened. I don't know what to say about it, but we got to shut these people up. In verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. See, this blows my mind because again and again and again, you can have evidence from experience. You can have evidence outside of experience in logic. And people do not want to hear there is salvation in only one name. People don't want to hear that. It goes against everything our culture breathes because of what's at stake. See, what is at stake here? When when we're saying, yeah, there is only one name, we're saying there's a lot of people who don't say that name. There's a lot of people who don't know that name. They may have some truth, but they don't have salvation. If salvation is found... In no other than one name. How do we respond? What do we do? I like what Peter does in verse 19. Our response should look like this. Look like his. He says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, your life will show whether or not you believe this or not. There's not it might show or maybe it will show. It will show. Your time account, your bank account will show The way you live your life will show if you believe this statement or not. There is salvation found in only one name. In closing, I want to address two different people. The first one I want to address is the skeptic. See, religious pluralism, saying that you can believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe, while it sounds incredibly inclusive, is actually extremely exclusive because what it says, it says, no, there is no truth. You can't know it. You're wrong. You can know truth. And I would beg of you this week, search hard for the truth. Search hard for it. If you're, if you're wrestling with this idea, I would beg of you this week, don't let it go when you walk out of this room. But search for it this week. If you want a religion where you can work hard through, through work and through penance to earn your way to God, then choose as many religions as you want. Because there are a lot that say that. But if you want one that says, you know what, it's not about what you've done, it's about what God's done, think about Christianity. Think about who Christ is. Think that he's the only one out of all those who is actually alive and who claimed to be God. Remember what Paul says, if works could save, Christ died for Nothing. He died for nothing. If we could be good enough, what's the point? He never would have come. God would not have sacrificed his son. To the Christian, many of us in here, I would ask you this. Do you feel the weight of what's being said here? Not just in your life, but in your neighbor's lives, in your children's lives, in your friends' lives, in your family members' lives. Because if it is true that we say that there is only one name that we can be saved by, then there are many who clearly do not profess that name. We, we should feel that weight. right? We've got a short window in an ever-expanding, infinite universe where we're going to live forever... If what we believe is true, we've got a lot of work to do. I would ask us, like Peter, ask that the Holy Spirit would stir something in you. Ask that the Spirit would encourage you, would embolden you to say what you don't want to say on your own. Because I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. I know it doesn't come natural all the time. So would you ask, would you just get after the Lord this week and say, God, give me a passion for your name. We want to be a church. We want to be a people who love that name and who want to share it. Remember, we, we've said that, that this word is only as good as it brings us to Christ. I remember what Jesus said to, to the Pharisees in John? He says, you search this thinking that in this you have life, yet you've, come, you've failed to come to me. We better get to him. And I would encourage us to hold tightly to this truth. So as I pray here, we're going to close. The worship team is going to come up, and we're going to, we're going to sing about three songs. And you can see that communion is a little differently. Um, I, want you to, I want you to wrestle with this idea of, of what we talked about this morning. Because it's weighty. I mean, for the Christian, for the non-Christian, it's weighty. You're going to get up on your own whenever you feel like it. Go to one of the stations. Take communion. If you're still wrestling with this idea of, I don't know if Christ is the only way, then don't take communion this morning. In your seat, just wrestle with God. He'll give you answers. When you're ready, as the music's playing, as we're worshiping together, just get up. Take it on your own. Just wrestle with God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are true. I thank you that we can, we can understand from Scripture that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who, who no matter what happens, or that we can say, it is well with my soul. Lord, Peter, facing this trial, facing probably what he thinks is certain death, can say it's well with my soul because I know the name Jesus Christ. I pray that we're a people who profess that name. Lord, whether high, whether low, whether in, whether out, I pray that we can say it's well with my soul because we have confidence in you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for giving us communion. I thank you that we can remember what you've done for us. And I pray that we would leave here with a passion to share who you are because there is so much at stake. We praise your name. Amen.